Welcome to e-commerce uh, straight talk. We're here today with Will Critcher, the uh, director of e-commerce for Death Wish Coffee. Will, how was? Uh, I know it's sort of the end of summer coming to an end here. So how's it been treating you so far? Just busy, busy. Busy, busy. I even got a vacation in this year, but it feels like that was a century ago. So, but yeah, very busy summer. Nice. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, we've been we've been sort of looking at like behavioral patterns and um you know purchasing patterns and whatnot and it's crazy to see like you know in in the difference between january and february of this year uh february you had the freeze right like the whole freaking country froze um even texas right and then by march sort of sort of the end of march early april um if you had a vacation destination or spot it was it was booked up like all the way about about 90 percent booked up all the way through august skip forward a couple months it's booked up all the way through January now, right? So it's like even even my wife and I were like, hey, maybe we could go to the beach. I got ah, that ain't that ain't gonna happen, you know? Like it's just it's just totally yeah. And then and then August comes around, you have the Delta variant, right? You have everything going on in the world, all these other factors that sort of come into play. And it's it's like it's just about, you know, it obviously it's not as weird as last year, but it is it is sort of up there with the amount of craziness that's occurring um yeah yeah anyways last year we saw the you know the pandemic obviously had a huge impact on on everything especially consumerism and i think this year we're seeing just like isolated examples of a of a a year-long situation when it comes to like you said weather people shifting out of you know being recluse to their home people trying to go on vacation fires i mean just everything yeah and there's and there's still inventory issues uh there's still logistics issues um you know i know everyone knows about like vehicles and and computers and smartphones that's just one aspect of it right there's so there's so many problems just across the board um just the fact that everything was shut down especially overseas for about three months has backed things up for years right Mm -hmm. and i mean we we had clients that back in uh, march they were ordering for q4 inventory because that's when they were going to get it right Mm -hmm. so crazy it's just nuts. So, yeah, it's 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 been a it's been a wacky year. It's definitely record. Oh God. No, go ahead. Oh yeah, sorry, I got a little uh, latency issue on that. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a, it's been a very wacky year. We uh, we're talking to our, our VP of supply chain last week, and I think uh, off the port of Oakland, um, they typically see around two cargo container or two cargo ships uh, outside of port that haven't docked yet around this time of year. And I think it was like a week ago they said that they were seeing uh, it was like roughly forty. We're just sitting there because, again, you're just dealing with all this inbound that they're trying to catch up on, and then they have to have a workforce to receive all that and then distribute it appropriately. It's just been nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, and then you add in all those issues, and you add in um, the the uh, labor force issues. You know, um, I think we've talked about it on the show here before, where it's you know uh, unemployment's around that six percent mark, but the majority of it is blue collar workers, service workers right? It's, it's all those jobs no one wants to do. Yep. And uh, yeah, with so the employment benefit getting, I think that got axed today. I think today is when that, that ended, right? So we'll see, see what that looks like and, and how, or what effect that has on people getting back into the workforce. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, <laughs> I guess more to come for 2021, right? Um, <laughs> Still got so let's, four months left, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Death Wish Coffee. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, what, how long have you been there for? Uh, just a little under three years. Okay. And, and from like the initial um, first time, like from the time that you began there till now, what are some of the, like the, the biggest changes that you've seen so far? And, and, and really tell us, I guess, a little bit more about the Death Wish Coffee story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the changes I've seen so far. Um... <laughs> I, think, I mean, I, I guess that, that's, we, that's such a broad just, question, right? Like, there's so many well, changes. Especially yeah. with what we just, especially with what we just talked about. Where do you begin? No? Um, yeah, a little background about the company. So, uh, it was started by Mike Brown, who's the current founder and CEO of the company. Uh, back in 2011, he used to own a small local coffee shop called Saratoga Coffee Traders. 
And the idea came to him when he had a bunch of customers coming in, you know, just asking for his strongest cup of coffee or what was his strongest cup of coffee. And so he went to the internet and he Googled world's strongest coffee and nothing populated. And so he's like, oh, there's an opportunity here. So he, from there, just started to um, source out different beans and tried a few different brew methods. And then he found one that, you know, delivered twice the ca caffeine content as any available cup. Um, and then uh, it had a very low bitter, very great flavor. And then from there, um, he ended up somehow, I think randomly, I think like Al Roker was in Saratoga and he like stopped at Saratoga Coffee Traders and he tried the coffee and he's like, wow, this is incredible. Um, he was like, you know, let me, I'll, I'll get back to you or whatever. And um, uh, within a week, he got a call from them saying, hey, we'd love to come and, you know, do an interview with you, blah, 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 see your operation. And he was like, yeah, sure. When? And it's like, oh, we'll be down there in a couple hours. And at the time, Death Wish Coffee was formulated in the basement of a coffee shop. And so uh, needless to say, you know, you had the news come there and it was, it was a pretty funny experience. And then from there, uh, we ended up uh, winning the Intuit Small Book or Intuit Small Business um, competition that got us a Super Bowl commercial in the 2016 Super Bowl, um, which obviously then catapulted us quite a bit. So we saw a lot of um, a lot of very rapid growth very, very quickly. Uh, and since I've been here, a lot of it's been focusing on becoming more efficient, um, you know, improving our e-commerce side of things. And then we've also, uh, you know, when I started, I think retail represented probably about 15 to 20% of our business. And I think, you know, as of today, it's probably 55% of our business. Um, so we've seen a significant growth in our, our retail um, customer base and just uh, opportunities, especially with the release of uh, new products such as medium roast and latte and stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah. And and um, so for that Super Bowl commercial that you guys were were in on. Um, so you're saying that you you won that through Intuit, like Intuit. Yeah, so they, they essentially did a competition for small businesses where um, they were going to give a free 30-second spot to whichever company had the most amount of essentially likes on, it was a voting process. And so um, I believe it was between the the final, I don't remember the third company, but the, the it was between us and Chubby's actually. Um, and uh, yeah, so we ended up getting the most votes for it. And then the, I think the commercial cost production uh in the sense of production and what the actual ad spot cost, I think it was roughly, it was either six or $9 million that we got out of it. I mean, you know, it was paid towards the production of it and uh, the actual publication of it. Um, but yeah. No, that, that that's crazy. Cause I was just, um, I was just, you know, if you look at, if you look at Super Bowl, so like you could go, you could make a commercial, like most people drop almost, you know, a million plus bucks on the commercial for the Super Bowl. Um, you buy the Super Bowl spot, that's a few million, right? Like you're saying six to nine million, but what people don't account for, cause they're like, oh, I could come up with that, you know, to reach some X amount of people, but what they don't account for is the other 20 million in ad spend that you got to pay for the whole year. Right. Around that. Mm -hmm. And sort of yeah. that's, that's, that's sort of everything that comes along with that. Um, because I'm sure if it was just Super Bowl commercial, everyone would be into it. So I, what I'm saying is I think that's pretty cool that you guys were able to get that, get that spot and, um, be able to run with that. I mean, that's, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the, the very first thing I did when I started here, I mean, it was, it had to have been within the first two hours of me working here. I was like, I want to see what a commercial does to, to a website's traffic. And I mean, it was just like Mount Everest. Like when you could tell, like when the commercial aired and it just like our, our page sessions went from where they were at. And I think they, they like adexed for like two hours of just through the roof. Um, but we anticipated a lot of, uh, or say they anticipated, you know, increase or volume and the site maintained, everything was good there, but, um, we definitely got very close to, um, having significant supply chain issues, but luckily enough, they, they prepared, you know, readily in advance for it. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a very, a very interesting story. Um, so you guys essentially have been growing like gangbusters for the yeah. since you started, just like right out the gate. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, we're a single owner, too. We don't have any, uh, you know, we have no VC money or anything like that. So it's um, it's been uh, uh, quite the challenge. And, and I think we're learning a lot of the right things and, and having to break a lot of bad habits in the process, too. But it's been, been a lot of fun. So, um, so what was like one of uh, the biggest lessons that you guys learned from growing so quickly? Oh, I would say 
The biggest lesson we learned would likely be um, it would probably come from from the inventory and supply chain side. I think you know we ran into uh, you know even though we we prepared as best we could with the information we had uh, as it relates to making sure that we had inventory to satisfy you know the orders that came in. Um, one of the areas that we we didn't fully uh, prepare for was we, we were anticipating a lot of uh, Shopify orders to come through. We we anticipated uh, Amazon would see a, a lift, but um, we we didn't prepare our FBA orders, so fulfilled by Amazon orders on uh, Amazon from an inventory standpoint well enough, and we ended up getting to a point where we weren't able to deliver, and Amazon actually ended up kicking us off and, and suspending our account. So I think um, you know one of the the, le- the the biggest learning lesson from that was just you know can't sell product if you don't have it. <laughs> so yeah. you know we we recognize the the importance of bringing on the right people to um, you know not not only the people but partners to make sure that we are you know producing our product. Um, to meet the demand, um, you know, making sure that it, it maintains the quality and everything that we have going on with that. And then just paying more attention to our supply chain logistics side of things, business beyond just the fact that because the company was so marketing sales focused, you know, especially with the, the drastic, uh, the, just the, the incredible rise that we had so quickly. Um, I think then, you know, that just, you know, opened the, uh, the floodgates for all the, the supply chain uh, obstacles and learnings we had to take into consideration. Wow. So, so, Moreover, this past you know year, past twelve to eighteen months, is, must have been especially trying on you guys as far as logistics and supply chain. Yeah, yeah, it was, we were we were good. Um, you know, we we definitely um, we we had the right people in place. We never came into a shortage this year, or even last year. We never went into a shortage. We did prepare well for it, but I mean, it certainly has its its challenges, you know, with Amazon just deciding to, you know, cut inventory holdings by 50, 60, 70% across the board. So then we've got all this inventory, we don't know where to send it. And um, now, yeah, so it's, it's been, last year was, was pretty tough, I think, but ultimately it was, we learned a lot from it. The, the hard part now, I think is, you know, how do we, do we compare, you know, this year's performance to last year's performance, especially in Q1, Q2. It's almost like, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're, we're constantly growing and we're, we're hitting our, our 2021 plans. But then when we compare it to specific times and um, against 2020, you know, we're almost like in some cases, like if we're barely doing better, you know, and sometimes uh, it's almost like, like, wait, is that because we're, we're not doing well? Or is that because of the environment of 2020? And so the, the challenging part is how much how much do you rely on last year's performance specifically in certain months um, in comparison to this month or into this year, especially with, again, people coming out of COVID, people focusing on t- entirely different things, um, not just making sure that they have, you know, their coffee. Yeah. And, and I mean, we've been sort of feeling the same pressure. It's, it's how do you, how do you make predictions um, for, you know, best usage of capital, when the the you know what you basically would you would try to go off some sort of seasonality some sort of patterns that you've seen the problem is is that the shifting patterns it's almost like on a weekly basis right it's like every week it's something entirely new um mm-hmm. and so you're just yeah you're just using your your best guess it's like hmm okay well yeah you know let's stay conservative but how could we do this right and um yeah and others are still, you know, trying to shoot for the moon. And it's like, well, we're just, we're just really like, you know, shooting blindly here. But I, th- I think that's sort of what you have to do in this sort of scenario, right? It's um, the, the best analytics in the world aren't going to get you what you want. So it's, <laughs> you just kind of got to work with what you have. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned um, like Amazon, or you, you guys got booted from Amazon. Um so yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit more about Amazon. This is one of our yeah. uh, more favorite subjects to talk about here on this show. It's um, yeah. obviously, you know, I'm not a huge like like Amazon has its its place and it's very convenient, right? And that's normally why people use it. I would say if people had the choice, they wouldn't, right? Um, especially with all the you know the stealing that Amazon does of products and white labeling stuff as soon as they see it take off. Um, but how are you guys able to leverage Amazon for for brand growth and increased sales? Yeah, I think uh, if you look at the beginning aspect of it, you know we we want to meet consumers where they are. You know, and Amazon is certainly is 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 inarguably the best place. To, uh, 
you know, best area to meet consumers, at least from an e-commerce, you know, placing our product there was, was important in, in the original get-go of it. And uh, we have no intention on, on stepping away from it at this point. Um, you know, I think we, we've definitely relied on reviews and product reviews and, and making sure that, you know, when we did have our supply chain shored up, uh, you know, making sure that Amazon had inventory. And then if we had any FBM orders that we were, you know, making sure that uh, all those orders were, were shipped out on time. Uh, you know, and I think the fruits of that labor were, our, our dark roast ground, our ground. So we just came out with medium. So essentially it's like our only coffee product that we had for a period of time um, was the number one selling ground coffee on Amazon for five consecutive years. And then uh, 2019, at the end of 2019, it was the number five best selling grocery product or product in all of grocery. Uh, oh. The pandemic definitely is where we got our asses kicked a little bit and, you know, had to learn, you know, quite a few things. Um, so, you know, we're able to leverage, you know, uh, just, I think the exposure, you know, I think if you kind of consider it in the same way that, you know, someone's going down a coffee aisle, uh, I think we looked at the McKinsey, McKinsey Associates and a few different studies that we've done, um, that we've done in-house and, and in conjunction with Amazon. And I think it was, you know, even, even the most loyal of coffee consumers, uh, I think it was 83%, at least at the time when they go to switch or to, to search coffee, assuming they're not subscribed and saved, they do, they do consider brand switching at least at one point. So what can we do to become top of search from a brand perspective and from a product perspective to at least, you know, make sure that they're aware of our product and then utilize um, any sort of uh, DSP and retargeting and things like that to, to, to make, make them aware again of, of our products existence. Uh, obviously we get more value if they come to our.com just because, you know, we have opportunity to upsell them. We have, you know, email opportunities and so on and so forth. Um, but I think uh, Amazon has been a great tool for, I think just, just putting our product where, where users congregate, which has been Amazon. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and everyone's there, you know, like I'm saying, even if, even if they don't necessarily want to be there. So it's just a convenience factor. Not only that, but yeah. I mean, Amazon's so customer centric. It's insane. It's, it's great. Right. Um, and, and that's sort of the world that they come from and that's how yeah. they started. That's how they got so big. Um, and, and really looking at, you know, the Amazon side, because obviously Amazon still owns that customer. And then looking at, you know, uh, direct to consumer, um, how did you guys sort of, uh, or, or, you know, what, what plans did you put in place? What shifts did you guys really do to, to make sure that your DTC side was, was, was growing and, and just as strong? Well, it, there was a, a bit of a residual effect, you know, from the commercial and so on and so forth. Uh, we've had a, uh, a pretty strong social media presence, especially around the time of um, uh, when the Super Bowl commercial happened. Um, you know, we we rely on, you know, we relied on our memes and things of that nature. And, and we, we, we very uh, community to, to us, community is as important as every bean that is a part of every skew that we make. And so, you know, we try to, you know, utilize social media for, you know, for, uh, you know, how can we create two-way familiarity and develop our understanding of our audience and vice versa uh, first, and then drive traffic to our website second, sell a product third. And through that, um, through that methodology, we've been able to, um, to really kind of develop our, our community itself. There actually is a, um, a community on Facebook that we we're not an admin of. It's the official Deathwish Coffee community page. I think there's like fifteen or like fifteen thousand members in there that we, you know, we peek our heads in there from time to wow. time and we'll comment and stuff like that. But we, you know, we have no oversight or anything of the same that's in there. So it gives us a sense of pulse. Granted, it's, it's a bit of a micro, uh, you know, it's a micro community. But um, you know, I think some of the success that we've seen from developing our audience and acquisition just comes from you know, trying to be humanizing ourselves as much as possible. Um, and uh, Mr. Rogers said it extremely well. You know, I think uh, the hero of Mr. Rogers was the community of people who watched it. You know, he didn't say, you know, um, uh, subscribe to our product now. You know, he would say something like, you know, why don't you be my neighbor? You know, why, why don't you join us kind of thing? And so what we try to do is, is you know, uh, we're not trying to make our product or our brand the hero. You know, essentially that's the consumer. We're just trying to be the guide throughout that, that hero's journey. And so trying to focus on how, you know, Deathwish Coffee supports the things that they are trying to accomplish and helps them accomplish the things that they want to do. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's not about our product or us. It's about the people who are the hero of that story. I think, um, you know, that, that's a, uh, a mindset that we that we definitely try to focus in on. And, and a lot of our decisions that we make here internally, um, 
you know, it's, it's uh, like we, we try to reinforce that, you know, always thinking with the customer in the room, especially if, if a decision impacts the customer experience. Actually, we just made these placards on it. We don't have them yet, but um, it's, uh, you know, those little uh, name plates that you put like on your desk and instead of it being like yeah. a person's name, it just says, will this impact the customer experience? If yes, talk to somebody. If no, are you sure? Like, and so we put that, like everybody's going to have one just because, you know, every, every decision we make, I mean, not every, but I mean, it's funny how innocuous and, and, and small decision might might seem to be, but we've 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 been able to track significant you know confusion to our customer just by doing very uh, simple things that you would think would have no impact. And so you know we just really try to think about you know how how are the decisions we make, how are we communicating with our customers, and how does that impact the relationship between our ourselves and our the brand and our customers. Well, and and it, you know it being twenty twenty one, and I think we've seen this in the past. We've just um, you know, com community is everything, right? Mm -hmm. Building community, building some brand loyalty, all of that. So being customer centric is so important. I think um, prior to the pandemic, we've just been able to sort of uh, re rely on, you know, the Facebook algorithm or, you know, Instagram or all these platforms really do it for us. And we could get away with, you know, not, not totally being a hundred percent, um, or, or, or doing the best job possible, right? I think over, over the past 12 to 18 months, that has proven that you have to be on your A game, right? So co community is so important. Brand is so important. It's, and it's, it's one of those things that it just takes time to build and you have to build it and you have to do it. Because that's, that's really the only way you'll survive like times that we've been going through. And um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think, especially when you think, uh, we talked about this uh, a little earlier than last year, but we'll say like around July of last year, thinking about, you know, if the average consumer, you know, like the, we'll just say like um, uh, middle-class America, when you're going to a grocery store May or July of, of last year, you know, you're, you're likely dealing with people who are employees there who, you know, maybe don't feel comfortable, don't want to be there. They're just as frustrated as you are. And so it just opens the door for, um, you know, we'll say, we'll say less than, less than what you would like to receive in a customer service perspective. And so from us, like we have a very high NPS score. I think we're at like a 92, um, you know, we, our customer service team is, is exceptional. And I think, you know, so we should make sure that, you know, uh, to ensure that we're delivering the same service, but better, because I think what that affords our, uh, our, our business as a whole, and I think anybody really, especially, and it, and it, it rings true now is, you know, if, if you rely on that customer service experience to be exceptional, then every type of interaction, like for instance, again, you go to the grocery store and there's a, just a, a bummed out cashier or something to that effect, like they're gonna remember that super, super high note, you know? And I think, so what, what can we do to kind of stand out to make sure that we're, we're, we're you know, but we understand that, that the customer is, you know, the most important part of our business. So what can we do to, to, to make sure that they know that, you know, and that there's never any, uh, there's never any question that they're just, they're just another ticket per se. Yeah. And I think that can, that, that message can get lost too, especially if you're, um, you know, a smaller company dealing with just the daily grind, especially with social media, the way it is. Right. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and obviously it depends on the platform you're on. If you're, if, if you're on, you know, TikTok, and uh, you know, hopefully people are, are, are positive, but if you're on Twitter, Twitter's can, can, can turn into a cesspool of, of negativity real quick. And it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I feel like, because, what's been happening over the past 12 to 18 months is there there's been a lot of growth for e-commerce right um amazon has taken a huge chunk of that market and a lot of small businesses that didn't really go e-com sort of started to fade away especially mom and pops and your your brick and mortar um and so this is what i mean by like how how important community is to to sort of help keep you alive like how big is your tribe like Seth Godin would say like you're you know you need a thousand people in your tribe at least um and if you have that then you can pretty much survive anything um I, it, it's it, and that led me down the path to like I'm curious to know what if there are any businesses out there that you don't need to interact with humans right where you don't need to interact with people at all and there really isn't right outside of maybe government but so there's no there's no uh, uh, business in the private sector where where community doesn't matter. So it matters everywhere. And I think it's it's so huge. And um, I think if we look at brands today, 
that are implementing uh, customer centricity, you know, customer service as number one priority, uh, building community, those are going to be the brands that survive over the next, you know, three to four years, depending on what happens, obviously. Um, everyone, everyone's positive, but, you know, at the same time, like, it's uh, from what we saw last year and even to this year, anything can happen on any given day of any given month. So it's just about being able to continuing to reach out and touch those people and really build that. Now, um, you talked a little bit about social media. So you got, I mean, you guys, you guys absolutely crush it out there on social. Um, and, and, and sort of how has that grown and or changed uh, since you started? Yeah, uh, there's one thing I want to touch on that you just brought up too with uh, um, yeah. Web, Web Smith mentioned this um, a while back. I just lost my train of thought. Um, oh, as it relates to community. So Web Smith, um, the guy is a guru. Is it somebody I read? Uh, he owns 2PML. It's a phenomenal newsletter and I recommend everybody to read and watch and pay attention to what he has to say. Uh, but he, had, he, he made a point. Um, I'm not sure if it was on um, on 2PML or if it was uh, in a podcast, but he had mentioned how, um, you know, if, if you if you walk down the street and you see somebody wearing a Nike t-shirt, it's outside of very rare cases, it's, you know, for a fact, it's Adidas nothing. Like they, they're wearing nothing other than Adidas. And, and that doesn't come from just great branding. That comes from a sense of community. You know, and I think, um, you know, that that rings true with like, if they're wearing Nike shoes, it's almost kind of funny. I was talking to, to our uh, senior marketing director here uh, about this specifically. And, and she had made a comment that she was like, yeah, I was putting my son in the car and he had, uh, or I was getting ready to, to leave for the car and he had a Nike t-shirt on and I was putting on um, his Adidas shoes and I was laughing at like, she was like, oh, like, she's like, it felt kind of wrong, like putting Adidas shoes on there. And I think like that, that's, it's yeah. so, it's so true due to the fact of the, the tribe, as, as Seth Godin said, um, and uh, the, how, how important community is and done through effective community building and, and brand development. Um to your question, oh, social media side. So, um, you know, we again, we're pretty. I started. I was like somewhere around like employee 28, 25, 29, some, somewhere in there. Um, and the marketing team consisted of four people, I think. Um, and then since then, I mean, our, our marketing team is now 23 people. We have a, our social media team is as big as our existing as our previous marketing team as a whole. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's an area that we've, we're starting to recognize too, is, uh, it's done very well for us historically in the past, but we, you know, we, we need to, to be more aggressive with how, how we face it in the sense of being more, more courageous, you know, more willing, uh, more willing to fail, you know, just trying different things and recognizing that, um, you know, what worked for us in 2016 and 2019 is not at all, you know, likely going to be relevant in 2021 and looking forward. So identifying what, organic channels, you know, we haven't really uh, played around in as much as we should. That would be, you know, TikTok. I think LinkedIn is a phenomenal um, organic channel, especially from our perspective. Uh, and just in the sense of what, um, actually, I'll tell you, we're, we're uh, kind of like doing this test per se. So I have, I think I have like 2000 followers on LinkedIn, which is pretty decent. It's like, it's, it is what it is, right? But um, a coworker of ours, she's our community manager. She, on her first day, she took a picture of somewhere in the office and it has like a meme that we have throughout our office, like in our, in our offices and like in our common areas. And it was like, ah, today's my first day. And she was like, yeah, I usually get like, you know, 40 or 50 likes. And this specific post got like 500 likes. And I was like, that's a lot. And so I took her idea and I took another picture of next to our kitchen with a meme. And I just put, you know, morning in there. And I think the biggest post of uh, engagement I've ever had was like 80 on LinkedIn. And I took the same same process. I just took a picture of the meme in the kitchen. I just said, good morning. And I think it's at like 305 likes. And so it's like, okay, like, you know, if I have 2000 followers, I think she has about that. Our, our business page has like 10,000 again, business content, obviously, like we're in a very, we're, we have the venue for that, right? We have a really cool office. We have very cool people that work here. It doesn't need to, like, the content doesn't need to be what you see and like, what you're used to. It could be entirely different in, in a sense of engagement and create that kind of office community um, or that LinkedIn community uh, through memes. So it's, it's funny how we're kind of, we're testing out to see, you know, what, what it is that resides in LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is a very viable channel. Um, and that could skip to uh, the other part where I, I personally know somebody um, who's an attorney. He, he was originally attorney for, um, I think, real estate law. Um, and then he ended up leaving uh, that firm and he works for pharmaceutical law. 
And so he was going to some conference about, um, you know, how to market yourself. And he was looking at Instagram, so on and so forth and heard of TikTok. And again, this was somebody who has utterly no social media background. And um, he ended up uh, deciding to use TikTok. And he's, a, again, a pharmaceutical uh, attorney. And he has, I think, like 3.7 million followers on TikTok. And he said that 50%, he's like roughly wow. 50% of all the DMs that I received on a daily are specific to services for some type of, you know, um, some type of use, you know, to, to, um, to employ him. And mm -hmm. he was like, a lot of it, a lot of it I can't use. But the point is, is the fact that if a pharmaceutical attorney, we're talking like from my perspective, like the most boring job ever, that makes no sense in the sense of if you think of TikTok as being a place for kids, that's yeah. statistically not true. If a pharmaceutical attorney can do it, then I'm confident your brand who sells wallets or crochet or sells cars can absolutely do it. You just need to think outside of the box and be, and understand that, you know, content, content and the emotion related to that content is ephemeral. And instead of trying to make everything picture perfect and, and publish it, I think just, just do, 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 do. Um, and yeah, that's my thought when it comes to social. And that, that's our thought here too. I think, I think that's the trick though. That's um, it's, like with, with TikTok in particular, it's not necessarily about overall quality. Obviously, you want quality better than a 2011 smartphone, right? But um, the quality of your content is really what it's about. Like what's in the, the meat of, of what you're giving people. And that's what they want. Um, yeah. And that's what that's what drives engagement and, and clicks. And, and obviously, looking at TikTok's algorithm is a little different, right? Where where uh, Facebook and Instagram and even LinkedIn, you're used to like the more engagement you get is driving up impressions and more engagement, more engagement. Well, with TikTok, how it works is they serve, like say you publish something, they serve that post to a select group of people. And based on that, based on those percentages is determined how it's going to show it to more people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's yeah, it's, it's very interesting in how they've sort of uh, rewritten the script, but when you talk about, you know, when you talk about LinkedIn too, um, it's, I just sort of had this thought, it's so fascinating to me that you have platforms like TikTok and Snapchat that require video, that require you to give some effort, right? And to sort of think mm -hmm. outside the box and, and talk about, you know, actionable items that people can use today or, or do today or experience, right? Sort of, sort of have that um, tell a story, something along those lines. And then you look at um, LinkedIn and even like Facebook communities and Facebook groups. And it's sort of the opposite. You need to write texts, right? It's all about text. So what can you write? What, what can you tell in a story in there? Like, obviously, video does do well on LinkedIn, too. Um, and some places within Facebook, but it's, it's if you're actually talking to the heart of the customer, and like wanting to have a conversation, um, just the, 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 what's what's the polarity there and and mm -hmm. these platforms and how they're different now you can use the same type of content this is what i would tell people i was just say um at the beginning of the week write up whatever content you have like even if it's a blog post or whatever you can dice that up into edible bites for linkedin and then just take that same content and then dice that up into you know 30 to 60 second vid long videos for for tiktok and now and now you see what people are doing too is um, they're creating content for TikTok and now you have Instagram reels and, and Facebook stories and all this. And, so, and then they're serving it there too. And now LinkedIn has LinkedIn stories. So I'm curious to see how that'll do. Um, but, yeah. but stories came from, cause they're trying to copy Snapchat reels came from trying to, trying to take from what they can from TikTok. But at the same time you see TikTok just blowing up. Um, and I think that has to do with more loyalty too. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, and you can sort of mark my words here, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Instagram uh, turns into MySpace within the next two to three years, right? Um, and sort of, uh, Facebook will still be around, but it'll be your older audiences, I think, that will mainly be on there. LinkedIn, that's a powerhouse, and the, the problem is actually, uh, uh, who's, who owns it, Microsoft? Microsoft. Um, yep. Yeah. The I lost a bet with... on that too. I thought <laughs> I, I had a, we had an internal wage before they did it. And I was like, I feel like Apple's going to do it. I was like, who's the big, who's the powerhouse that's not involved right now. And I was like, Apple, I was like, either that or they're going to buy TikTok, but that's the point. Yeah, I know. Um, 
God, yeah, it's it's actually sad because so we've used LinkedIn's ad platform. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have some success sometimes, right? But not a lot. Um, but you don't get like the like if you if you just go in there, you start an ad account, you start going, you get a, a certain amount of of um data and a certain amount of access within your ad account. You really yeah, don't get to the like meat and potatoes of it all until after you start spending about 25k per month. Then they then LinkedIn opens it up more for you. So then you can you can dive into the um more narrow targeting and things like that. So it's, it's very interesting how they have it set up. Um, that said too, what we're seeing is we're having a little success with some brands on TikTok, but when you see like, what, what is the driver of that success? It is uh, uh, pure creativity, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how creative can you be with your videos? Cause obviously you need videos. So the barrier to entry increases right there. Um, then it's like, how can you be more creative? How can you engage people as they're flipping through? Right. And, and sort of, um, you're, you're not trying to be super disruptive, right? Like this word that everyone's been using for the past four years, like be disruptive. Like you're not really trying to be, you're trying to be, you're trying to be relevant you're trying to fit within the context of what they're seeing too. Right. That's how you're trying to engage with people. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, there, there's no, there's no correlation between high quality content and high performing converting paid social ads. Like parking lot shots is a, is a real, is a term that came from the fact that you could take a $400 picture of something here, and then you can go in the parking lot and take a picture with it of your phone and have it oftentimes for, for whatever reason, perform better. And so I think like to your point where, you know, it comes from, you know, uh, like people want to return for their attention on social. And now even granted that the objective of a paid ad is not the same thing as an organic post. So, you know, what can you do from a creative standpoint to convince them in a very short period of time to do the thing that you would want them to do? And so I think, you know, if you can capture their attention by being creative and being relevant, and then very clearly say, you know, Hey, we're looking for your business, click here to buy this product. I think, you know, that that's something that is, that it's almost like Facebook, we'll just say Facebook, Instagram, the audiences are always right, right? Like it's always going to put the ad in front of the person should be provided you've done your due diligence. Facebook's always going to do that. So you can't mm-hmm. really, you can optimize the audience a little bit. You can take some learnings, but ultimately the thing that impacts like that, that's going to really have any sort of lift or performance indicator or change performance is going to be that creative, but it's the copy and the actual creative inside of it. And I think whatever you can do to constantly provide, you know, relevant, you know, attention, um, attention capturing content that effectively tells the, the consumer, the audience to do the thing they want to do. I think that's what, what should be scaled and focused on rather than, you know, even just spending more money on the, on the paid ad side. I think you spend more money or attention on making sure you have a, like just a high funnel or a farm of just content that you can constantly keep putting in there and testing against itself across different channels to see what works. Because something might do okay on Instagram, but it might crush it on TikTok. We're seeing the other way around where it's things that did really well on Instagram from a video perspective, just do subpar on TikTok. And so, you know, vice versa mm-hmm. where TikTok content does really great cross posted, you know, and same with Twitter, TikTok, uh, Twitter, Twitter content cross posting on Instagram does really well for us too. But um, yeah, a little bit yeah, of a rant so there, there. No, no, it's good. Um, yeah. There's such a, there's such a giant mix too. Like uh, so much. So here this year, I feel um like if, if, if you were to talk to me two years ago, 2019, I would have said I could have come up with a broad strategy that really would have worked for just about everyone. And then you'd have like your little tweaks here and there. Now it's like every brand is exceptionally different, right? Everything that we do for that brand has to be so different if we want success um, to where this, there's no clear, concise strategy that will, is like a cookie cutter thing that will work for everyone. Um, and I think that's just due to the total level of, of platform usage and how people are using and, 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 and working with these platforms. Um, and then also that, the, the creator, the content creators, so you have influencers, how they're using the platforms and then how brands are using the platform. So, um, you know, and, and, and we've tried this and, you know, brands acting like influencers doesn't necessarily work. And so, you know, it's, it's, you just have to try so many different things. And, and to your point, you could post a meme or a video and it does extremely well. And you're like, cool, I'm going to run this as an ad. Doesn't do anything. Vice versa. Totally different. 
Yeah. You could post, uh, uh, like, for example, we work with a, a um, electronics company. Literally just posted a picture of a turntable on a nightstand, right? That's the highest driver of revenue. That simple image, just a mm-hmm. turntable on a nightstand. Like, that's it, right? Um, that said, if we're looking at, hey, if we want to, to really be successful and, and the priorities of success, and I've said this on here so many times, is product market creative. So do you have a product the market actually wants? Okay, cool. Who is that market? Who's that audience? All right, cool. You can hit those two things. Just about every platform these days, like you said, as long as you're doing your due diligence, you can hit those two things. Mm-hmm. And then creative comes into play. And I feel like... Um, especially over the past four or five years where, where the targeting has been so on point and, and you've been able to get away with, you know, a a few things here and there, and you haven't really focused on creative. You've done just enough. I think that, that time has shifted, right? It's like, you got it. You definitely have to be on par with your creative. Now, what that means is, is something totally different. You got to test to figure out what that is. But in general, like you're saying, you build these high functioning funnels, um, creative needs to tell the story. So, how, I mean, you have a product and you have a market, but does the market know about the product, know about the brand, understand how to use it? All of these things just, uh, you, know, you know, has, has your brand sorry, built that authority? Are you there? Oh, can you hear oh, me? There you are. Yep. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Just got a little, um, oh, no yeah, yeah, no, no, you're, you're entirely right though. It's like, yeah, now that we have the product and we know we have the market, you know, and, and we have data support that that's a, there's a viable match here. How do you, how do you connect and educate and, and yeah, how do you connect and educate the two things so that way you can see the the fruits of the labor and 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 actualize that business opportunity that you see? Um, I, Seth Godin again, I, he said something in a, a podcast that I thought was um, extremely relevant, especially now. Especially now, um, I think he said about a year ago is related to direct advertising, and you know, direct advertising is is starting to uh, you know as we're seeing higher acquisition costs and CPM costs and things like that because you've got these big box legacy retailers getting way more vested into, especially after last year, into the digital space, um, where direct advertising is you know it's 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 not becoming um, it's not going away. You know, I mean, like I want to pay I'm going to pay a dollar for this ad to be delivered here. Let's say that this consumer is going to give us a dollar and one penny. Cool, we made a penny. I think those margins. I mean, obviously not that bad, um, but they're, they're starting to get you know down and so you know the point of this is that you know it's, it's not just the direct advertising what can you do from a from a context and a creative standpoint that's really going to like shift you know or uh, yeah i say shift the performance or shift the, the penetration that you have or the awareness that you have in any given market and he used um i don't remember the lady's name but uh he used pfizer as an example for when they had alka-seltzer and so her i can't remember the lady's name but she was tasked with hey you know as the marketing director we need you to by the end of this year uh, double the sales of our Alka-Seltzer. Um, and so she was like, cool, thought about it. And she's like, oh, wait, here we go. How about plot, plot, fizz, fizz. So instead of it being one product, we, I'm going to create a, a, uh, you know, a little jing that we're going to then put into advertising. And instead of using one, we're just going to tell them to use two because we also, for whatever reason, they did their backup and research to make sure that it made sense. And then had a year to do it. I think within four months, she had doubled the prior year sales just from just changing the creative and, and, and how people um, utilize their product and how people view their product. And so that didn't come from direct advertising. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunities ourselves included with how can we think, you know, and we can't get people to necessarily drink coffee faster, you know, especially we're the world's strongest coffee. So there's, there's yeah. a caffeine tolerance and a responsibility that we have, but ultimately, you know, how, how people, you know, how do people interact and, and, and utilize, how does our product, you know, interact with their daily lives and, and what ways can we, can we, um, you know, harness that opportunity or harness that relationship to either scale it to more people, you know, or, or get them to consume it more, which again is not, not a direction that we necessarily want them to go, but you know, it's, so it's, it's solved not through direct advertising. It's solved through, through what you're talking about is the creative side of things and, and the context and, and how people, you know, not only say how people use our product, but how our product is a part of their lives. Yeah. And it's, and it's the entirety of the ecosystem, right? I don't think we can, um, you know, the, it's kind of sad, but if you're a small business or you're a startup just starting out, it's, you can't just choose one channel and try to scale through that channel. It's like, you sort of have to build up the entire ecosystem from scratch to begin with. Right. It's very difficult. 
um you know mm -hmm. the if it was 2016 it'd be easy because you just say hey, hop on facebook that's all you need you scale that to high heaven right and then you can start adding everything else that's not the way it works anymore everything's sort of omni-channel and that's how people operate um and and so to to be able to look at that you know especially with the shifts that we are making internally here um it's all about and and it's kind of gotten to a crazy ludicrous point almost where it's like content creation to the max right and that's how we help our brands it's like um obviously the the, the paid side still works to a certain extent especially with the ios issues like oh that's you know, all you're dealing with is attribution issues, right? People are still buying. And, and this is the, the crazy thing that we've been seeing is we've been seeing um, brands and advertisers shift funds and budget over to traditional and TV, radio, print, direct mail, right? Like mm -hmm. that wasn't working six months ago, but because you can't see the numbers because there's an attribution issue, therefore this must not still be working when we actually look at the back end, right? We look at our MER we break down total returns we see that hey it's still working there's just a gap in in the data that we can't see so what do we sort of do to help push everything along and and not only that but how can we help increase um our reach to the market um not only through paid but through organic and what we learned through looking at all the data and looking at brands and talking to brands who who had some major success with organic is it's just all about massive content creation how can you be just be creating and creating and creating and all that that you know at some point you you might say well that just costs a lot of money well not necessarily it just costs a lot of influencers right and mm -hmm. and content creators and um and so really looking at that route especially moving into q4 um have have you guys had any success with influencer marketing or, or working with content creators yeah, so it's actually it's a good question because we're 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 looking at it from a little bit of a different approach going into Q4. So, um, not to say influencer marketing doesn't work because it certainly does. You know, I think it definitely has its its impact, its viability. Um, but one thing that you know, going back to a conversation earlier about you know, instead of throwing more money at our like increasing our our ad budgets on paid social, looked at what what can we change and what can we scale and then what is what is a pain point for us and so. Um, if you're an influencer, right, we'll just say if you're an influencer of, we'll say the gaming market, let's just for simple numbers, let's say there's there's one influencer for the gaming market um, to be to be the, the the aggregate spokesperson of all of these people for say, like to be an influencer, what do you have to be very good at proven? You have to be very good at creating content. And so rather than finding influencers to influence their market, what we're looking at is acquiring uh, the various amount of different agreements with influencers to create content. If they want to publish it onto their social media, that's fine. That's not what we're paying them for. We're paying for them to, to create content as to how they interact with our product, how it interacts with them, you know, what they think of it, and then using that creative and then sparsing it up over different paid channels um, opportunities. And so, you know, we're trying to look at it from a bit of a different approach rather than just hiring a content creator, you know, someone who just shoots video for brands or shoots videos for influencers or, or lifestyle photography, but someone who is a spokesperson of a segment of an audience that we have validated through various terms of data. Um, and then, you know, try to get like influencers and then how they interact with our product. Then we take all that content and then test it against itself in, you know, on paid channels, such as uh, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and then we'll do the same thing with like home chefs and so on and so forth that they then post it to their audience which oftentimes they've they've shown that they would just because they've if that's that's part of their function is they want to let their their audience know that what they're doing and what they're working on then that's just that's just extra but um utilizing them as a as a as a professional content creator first and then if they decide to post on their social media for influence like that's just bonus but that's that's the, how we're looking at it from a q4 perspective I think you you just hit the nail on the head for for how we shifted to things too, right? It was this idea of if we look at influencers as like, hey, are they cash flow positive out the gate? Are they ROI positive? It could take us a very long time, and go we would go through a lot of influencers and a lot of cash to try to find that, right? And then how can you scale it? It's it's scalability is very difficult within that. Uh, but by doing it that way. So what we did is we shifted our whole mindset and we said, okay, we have a budget for content. 
why don't, why isn't our first priority, like how much content can we get for X amount of dollars? So then we shifted to that. And so, you know, looking at influencers more as content creators, right. Than influencers. Mm -hmm. And so then that changed how we negotiated with them too. Right. For like total, Hey, how many images we're looking for? How many videos we're looking for? You know, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, all this. Um, and, and how can you, you know, can you get it to us within the next two weeks? And right, and and not only that, but then you go from someone, an influencer asking for a thousand dollars to post something to, hey, you know what? Okay, for four hundred bucks, I'll give you twenty images and three videos. Boom, done. Like I'll take that deal any day, right? And so, right, just no, by, it, just go ahead. Oh, sorry. I a little, little service issue there again. <laughs> oh, we're good. We're good. I couldn't tell if, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, to, 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 yeah, to echo your point. I mean, I think that's, that's a big piece of it too. I mean, uh, if, if you had $50,000 and you put it towards a commercial, right? Like towards one high quality commercial, I'm not saying that that's not warranted and, and not, not valuable, especially if you're going to do connected TV and, and you're going to spend another 50 grand over the year advertising it, right? Like that does have its value, right? Especially from a brand, like just an all encompassing commercial, but that's not very scalable when it comes into a Q4 perspective. Imagine taking that 50, 50 grand and putting it towards, you know, uh, I don't know, 200 unique pieces of content, especially if that, that content is coming from proven professional content creators who are who are the aggregate brand ambassador for these segments of people and you're just constantly testing yourself, that's very scalable. It's very testable. It's very, you know, just, and, then, and then what else does that do? That then frees up your creative team's, you know, pipeline and, and bottlenecking that they may have, or if you don't have the in-house ability to, to create that content, I think it just, uh, it's a much, I want to say, I think, I think now it's, I want to say it's a much better use of funds. However, we're also trying that out right now. So I, I don't want to speak out of, um, out of touch, but like, like the math checks out, right? I mean, like if you have more opportunities to test against itself, put it on scalable, testable channels, rather than just spending more money in paid ads um, or like in the, in the campaign groups themselves, the ad groups themselves, um, just using, using this high, high, I would say like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a higher quality content, but it's, it's done by people who speak directly to the market and the audiences that you're already accurately targeting um, through these channels. Yeah. And, and, and over time you get better at your ability to, to sort of communicate to them what's working and what isn't what we want to see, what we don't. And, and especially if you can build some exactly. good relationships with these people, because some of them are, are awesome. Uh, others, <laughs> very difficult to work with but i mean that's sort of the nature of, of influencers or content creators but um yeah it works really yeah. well I, I don't know if everyone heard this big crash but it was just my cat knocking over a ton of books um <laughs> but, but anyways hey so will i know we're, we're sort of pushing on time here um i wanted to thank you for coming out and chatting with us today um how can people reach you uh, LinkedIn. I'm a loser. I don't really use social media that much. LinkedIn's the best way. Um, always open to conversation, especially as it relates to anything we talked about from a content creation standpoint. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn at my name, Will Critcher, uh, or find us at Deathwish. Uh, use code Will15 at our website to save 15% off an order. What other shameless plug can I put in here? I think that's yeah, it, what, actually. <laughs> whatever plugs you want. Cool, man. All right. Yeah, well, everyone. That's it. Um, well, thanks again, Will, and everyone be sure to listen, check us out on Spotify, follow us there. We're also on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and, and um, this video will be up on YouTube as well. So be sure to subscribe and, and, and stay up to date with everything that we come out with. All right, guys, talk to y'all later. Thanks for the conversation, man.